Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an Espionation blog about your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and I've got some mailbag questions this week. But first, we have to talk about the rookie from Michigan that everyone was so excited about. That's right, Nick Blankenberg. Woo! Yeah, so uh, Nick Blankenberg was another player out of college that the Blue Jackets signed the same day that they signed Kent Johnson. Um, I'm sorry that we didn't talk about him last week. There just wasn't the time to do so. And honestly, we didn't know a lot about him at that point. We didn't know what sort of impact he'd have. Would he even play that much? We just didn't know. Uh, But he is a very, very interesting player. Undrafted, played four years of college, was available to be signed by anyone. Um, a number of teams were interested in signing him. Uh, Colorado had actually offered him a contract last year to leave college early, um, but he decided to return to Michigan. So, you know, I think if Colorado is interested in the player, that's a good sign because Colorado obviously has a good eye for talent. But he returned to Michigan for a senior season, was captain of a team that included, you know, numerous first-round picks, four of the last five from last year's draft. He had 29 points in 38 games. You know, pretty good offensive production from a defenseman. He's an intriguing player because he's just five foot nine, which is short for any hockey player, but especially for a defenseman. Um, now, you know, the game is changing. You know, it's more important to have a guy that can skate well, have a guy that can handle the puck, all that. But it still helps on defense to have a guy that can do those things, but also is tall, has a long reach, has a big body, can take hits, can deliver hits, that sort of thing. Blankenberg actually started his career as a forward all through his youth. He played forward, um, played through high school. Uh, it's you know unusual to see an NHL player that played high school hockey as opposed to you know travel hockey as a teenager. Um, then he played, joined a club team after high school. He was in a scoring drought. They had a shortage of defensemen. The coach asked him if he was willing to change positions. Uh, he did so and it just, it clicked all of a sudden he was a defenseman. Uh, then he went and played in a Canadian minor junior league for a year. 
that caught the attention of Michigan, uh, but he still had to walk on at Michigan. But, you know, four years later, boom, he was the captain. Obviously someone that the Jackets had their eye on. You know, they were watching Michigan very closely because of Kent Johnson. Assistant General Manager Basil McRae was someone who talked to Blankenberg throughout the season. Uh, Rick Nash, the Director of Development, also was in communication with him. So when it came time to sign a deal with someone, he felt comfortable with the Jackets. He felt comfortable going to the team where his teammate Kent Johnson was going to sign. And... He got to make his debut on Wednesday along with Kent Johnson against Montreal. And honestly, he was a much more noticeable player in that game. You know, played about 15 minutes, blocked five shots, had an assist, <laughs> got a you know first NHL point in his first NHL game. Um, he was also noticeable for the fact that, yeah, he, he's five foot nine. Like I was wondering, oh, which player is Blankenberg? And oh yeah, the one who is, you know, at least a head shorter than everyone else on the ice. But he didn't play small. Great physicality, was willing to throw hits, obviously willing to sacrifice his body to block shots. Really good skater. Um, got to the spots that he where he needed to be. Um, you know, it's not like someone who's tall and has a long stride, and if they're out of position, they can make up that distance pretty quickly. Um, he just knows to be in the right spot, so he doesn't have to make up that distance. Really, really liked what I saw from him in his game, and... Obviously, the coaches have loved it as well because he has continued to be leaned upon. In the second game of his uh, pro career out in L.A., he actually got elevated from the third pair to the second pair. Adam Bokus was not having a very good game, so Blankenberg got to play with Vladislav Gavrikov. And it fit. (laughs) He looked comfortable there. And then on Sunday in Anaheim, Sakwarinski went down early with injury, so they had to, you know, rotate five defensemen and Blankenberg played about 20 minutes, but again, looked comfortable. He looked good out there. So uh, this is a very interesting signing. You know, I, I thought that we already had plenty of defensemen in the pipeline. I don't know that we really needed to add another one, but it is a really good luxury to have, you know, whether he works out for the jackets, whether he, becomes trade bait for another piece or whether the guy like Jake Bean or Jake Christensen or Stanislaus, one of those guys, whether they get traded um, or, you know, maybe Blankenberg's game will fall off. That's certainly a possibility. This could be a flash in the pan, but he was certainly worth looking at. Now he's not super young um, again, because he played a couple years after high school before going to college, played four years in college. He is 24 years old now. Um, he signed a one-year entry-level contract. At that age, your ELC is just a one-year deal. Because he's signed at midseason, this burns that contract. So he is a restricted free agent this summer. Uh, I believe that he will be an exclusive rights free agent, so only the Jackets can offer him a deal. I don't know. You know, I'm sure when they signed him, they didn't know if they would even offer him another deal or was going to be a one-way deal, a two-way deal an AHL-only deal. I think, based on what we've seen from him, that it will certainly be an NHL deal. Probably will be another two-way deal. Um, so there's, you know, he'll come to camp, he'll compete for that, you know, sixth spot on the defense, and then either, you know, make the team or go to Cleveland. I think either way is fine. But the guy looks like legitimate pro hockey player. 
Um, now, as for the height thing, it is rare to see a defenseman that short, but it is not completely novel. Um, one obvious comparison would be Jared Spurgeon in Minnesota, uh, who is also a right-handed shot. Now, you know, right-handed shots are not as common as left-handed shots, so a right-handed defenseman is a very valuable piece. That's something that teams are always looking to add, always looking to be able to balance left-hand, right-hand on their defensive pairs. Um, so Jared Spurgeon, also 5'9", also right-handed. Um, so that's one comparison. Um, Tory Krug in St. Louis is a, another 5'9 player uh, with a little more offensive aspect to his game, which Blankenberg might have, again, as a former forward. Uh, Matt Grizzlick in Boston, also 5'9". So there are some players who have succeeded, established themselves as top-end defensive players in the NHL despite their small stature. So that is a possibility with Blankenberg, although obviously some of those guys were you know, drafted a lot higher or seen as, as higher-end prospects earlier in their career than, than he was. But um, something to, to keep an eye on there for sure. You know, and there's there's the intangibles with him too. Obviously, having been a captain at Michigan, so he has those leadership skills. The fact that he's been an underdog his whole career shows that he's willing to put in the extra work to get to this point because he had to work so much harder. Um, that he was, you know, came in as a walk on in college, got to be a scholarship player by the end of it. Um, obviously, made a good impression on his coaches there. Um, the fact that, you know, he's finishing his degree at Michigan. It's a really good school. So to be able to get a degree there while also being a, you know, Division One varsity athlete um, shows that he's a hard worker, shows that he's smart. So he's going to be able to grasp the defensive schemes we have to learn quickly. Again, obviously looked very comfortable in the scheme from the beginning. So um, wishing him the best of luck here and Certainly, the Jackets could use defensive help. So if he can provide it, how about that? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, so have a couple questions from the mailbag. First from Maria DeVito. She asked, thoughts on KJ and Blank so far? Obviously just uh, talked about Blankenberg there. So Kent Johnson, I've been so excited for him. And I'm afraid I may have built it up too much in my head for what kind of impact he would have right away. I was there at Nationwide on Wednesday and... He was kind of invisible, to be honest. Um, now, it's not all his fault. It was a game where the top two lines were playing really well, and so the coaches were trusting them more. Uh, he was on a line with Justin Danforth and Oliver Bjorkstrand, and um, it just got lost in the shuffle a little bit. And when that line was on the ice, it felt like they were having trouble possessing the puck. A lot of times where they're on their first shift, but they were stuck in the defensive zone most of the time. Or if they were in the offensive zone, 
the other team had the puck and they were forechecking. Um, now, like on his first shift, I saw Johnson throw a hit behind the net. That was really cool. I didn't expect him to have that element to his game. And I do see him doing a lot of like little things away from the puck that are good. Sometimes a skilled player, like if they don't have the puck, they're not really engaged in the game. But it shows that he's willing to do those little things every shift, which I think is really important. That means that if a guy is not producing offensively, at least he is still contributing in some way to the game plan. Um, Now, when he did finally get to touch the puck a little bit, I think the first time was on a power play, you could see the skills that he has. He's very comfortable handling the puck. He is a very, very good passer. Every pass he made was right on target. Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of his teammates didn't really anticipate how good of a passer he was. They weren't necessarily ready for those passes, but the passes came where they needed to. Um, Now, as each game has gone on, I think that he has gotten more and more comfortable. For his third game against Anaheim, Patrick Laine was a late scratch, so they had to shuffle the lines a little bit. So Johnson got to play with Roslevic and Bjorkstrand. So that was him playing with a better center. Obviously, obviously Roslevic has been playing really, really well lately, which you love to see. And then Johnson was starting to get into more of a groove, was finally getting some shots off. Still not all the way there yet, but I think it's coming. I think the potential is still there. You can still see the skill there, still see the talent. It's just a work in progress. We need to adjust our expectations accordingly. But I think especially in the fall, once he's had a summer to do some conditioning, maybe bulk up a little bit, put on some muscle mass, and then be able to come in with a full training camp, that long set of practices, preseason game, things like that, then I think he can get into a rhythm with some line mates. They'll know what to expect from him. For the remainder of the season, though, I want to see him get a lot more power play time. Just maybe be more willing to rotate all the lines if you can. Um, the Jackets have been officially eliminated at this point. That happened on Saturday. So, you know, might as well give him a little bit more time, uh, even though the guys above him have earned the minutes. But, you know, just get him a little bit more shifts than he's gotten so far. I think he's on his way. He is just not quite the immediate impact that we hope for. Last question this week is from Adam Hain. Out of the young guys on the team, who do you think shows the most promise? Well, I'm not sure exactly how to frame this question because the team as a whole is so young. So does this include everyone on the team or just the most young? But I will go with the rookies. There have been a bunch of, I think, 10 rookies in total this year that have made their debut for the Jackets. Uh, Burkus wrote about that last week. Uh, so check that out at jacketscanon.com. It was an interesting tier ranking of, of all the rookies. But the one that he ranked number one, I would have to agree with it, Cole Sillinger, clearly. He has been super impressive. To, to make the NHL as an 18-year-old is so rare. It's especially rare for a player that was not taken in the top 10 or even the top five, you know, most of the guys there, even high end talents at the top of the draft, 
need another year in college or juniors before they make that leap right to the NHL. And the Jackets, I think, didn't really expect him to make the team, but they brought him into camp. And, you know, Brad Larson has always said he kept looking for reasons to not include Sillinger on the team. And Sillinger didn't give him any reasons to cut him. And he's had his ups and downs on the season. There have been times where he's kind of disappeared a little bit. There have been games where he's struggled. But I feel like you have seen consistent improvement. The trend line for him is going constantly up. His play away from the puck, I think, has grown a lot. Um, the Montreal game that I was at, uh, now his his underlying stats weren't great in terms of shot attempts allowed, but I felt like I saw him very engaged in the defensive zone, getting the way to block shots, intercept passes, just generally get in the way of what Montreal was trying to do offensively. So that is a a part of his game that I think will be really important. We will need him to become a 200-foot center. I don't see him necessarily as the number one center long-term, but I think there's the potential there for him to be like prime Brandon Dubinsky, but even more of a scoring threat. We haven't seen a ton of it from him outside of that game where he had a hat trick, but he does have a really good shot. And I th- hopefully next season, the coaches will encourage him to shoot more. And, and once he does, I think we'll see him put up some really big numbers because he's got a really, really powerful shot. And so I, anyway, I'm just, I'm really, really impressed by his maturity. Uh, he handles himself very well for such a young player. He is more physically developed than we usually see from, you know, teenage hockey players. He's already very strong. He absorbs hits. He delivers hits. Um, It's just really hard to find flaws in his game. Uh, In the draft, I think there were people that were concerned about his skating form. But, you know, that's not something that has jumped out to me. I feel like he is, has been effective moving down the ice. I haven't seen him get beat or out out skated necessarily he's where he needs to be so anyway i'm big fan of cylinder i think he has the most upside of the players we've seen uh throughout the year i think of the players currently on the roster though kent johnson has a higher ceiling overall because i think he can be an elite playmaking winger think like maybe Mitch Marner, not maybe not quite Marner's level, but of that kind of style, that is his ceiling, which I think is maybe higher than Sillinger's. But the fact that Sillinger plays center, which we need, um, means he's going to be quite valuable as well. So uh, this week, the Jackets are finishing their California trip on Tuesday at San Jose. Then they return home on Friday to face the Ottawa Senators. And then on Sunday afternoon, bring your kids as they face Connor McDavid and the Oilers. And I know I've mentioned this before, but if you have not seen Connor McDavid play in person, find some tickets, come to that game. He is a really, really special player. He is a generational player. You need to come see him play. It's uh, it's really something impressive. So, hope to see you at Nationwide over the weekend. And... We'll see you here on this podcast again next week. 
For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates. I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.